1: ديل بدا تشاكستر رجعها تلعب سميث البحث عن كره
0: ممتازه با This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, goodly fucking morning to you. Goodly morning to you
1: too, Andrew. Goodly morning. And ha- and you <laughs> <laughs> can tell from my voice, it was a goodly evening as well. Yes. Um, and goodly birthday Thank for you. yesterday. Thank you. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. Was, that, was it your wish to have happy birthday sung to you by Gollum from the Lord of the Rings films? Because if so. How
0: did you know? I just How did made you it know? come true. Look, we'll talk about that in a second. It's a goodly morning. It has to be a goodly morning. We won the North London Derby. And I know that people are going, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. You said there'd be a jingle if we won the North London Derby. I think I said that. Mm. I think I remember saying that. And usually the jingle is a goodly morning jingle. But this time it's, it's very slightly different. It's a variation on a theme, if you like. And it's based mm. on something that was doing the rounds last night. I don't know if you saw this. I'm sure most people have. But there was a, a little compilation of footage of Ian Wright doing the Premier League uh, production coverage of the game, along with Glenn Hoddle, who looked very, very sad, and Ian Wright was not sad. And I'm going to play a bit of what Ian Wright, uh, how he reacted to the various goals. So let's play this first. Oh, too easy. Oh, go. On. Yeah! Amazing, right? So,
1: I love it. I, Suitable I, professional restraint for being right. Absolutely.
0: There. Absolutely. So, based on that, for our goodly morning jingle of sorts, I made this. There we go.
1: <laughs> Andrew, I mean, wow, that's fantastic. Released that on iTunes. We'll be number one. Yeah. I suspect. <laughs> I mean, you know, that... It's. I was bopping along in my chair. Yeah,
0: it's good. He's it going to love that. It's one of those. I was. Uh, I made it, and then I listened to it about ten times myself because I. I liked it so much. It came it's together really catchy. well. Yeah, it's very it's good. Very catchy. It's very good. But look, it was a. It was a, an amazing day yesterday uh, because, well, you know, we won, and I have to say, it was it was kind of a weird day. In a way, also, because, um, you know, it was my birthday and I was kind of nervous and anxious about the game and all that kind of stuff. But, but 50 mm-hmm. is the kind of number which gives you a bit of, um, you know, a bit of introspection, a bit of pause for thought. It's a fairly big round number, you know, and it's been a weird year. You know, uh, on a personal level, there's been a lot going on with my dad and still sorting out a lot of his stuff. We're coming to the end of that. It was my birthday and I was like feeling a bit a bit weird about all of it, you know. And then we won the game. I felt fucking great. It absolutely 100% made my day. So thank you uh, to the players, to Mikel Arteta, to Arsenal, to the fans in the stadium, uh, you know, who contributed such a lot to that performance as well yesterday. It it just completely and utterly shifted my mood. So uh, I I was, like I think most people, delighted with how it all turned out. Um, So, yeah.
1: I'm delighted to hear that. I'm sure all our listeners are too. Very glad that you had a happy birthday and and thanks Arsenal for toasting it in the appropriate yeah. fashion. Yeah.
0: I mean, it was a present for all of us that we uh, enjoyed. It, it really was. I
1: got you something, but it was kind of for me too, you know? One yeah.
0: of those presents. <laughs> uh, you wouldn't swap it for anything else, so it though. It was really a lot of fun, wasn't it? I'm not even sure where to start with all of this because no. there's so much I think we can talk about. I mean, look, you were there. You just came back from your um, your holiday and got into the stadium. Maybe just give us a bit of flavour of what the the atmosphere was like. Uh, it it did feel to me in the build up to the game that I'm not sure if people were necessarily confident or whatever. But the last couple of weeks have made people not unconfident, if that makes sense. So what was it like in the build-up to the game, around the ground, inside the stadium? Look, we can all... We we heard the noise. The early goal creates an atmosphere of its own anyway. But but give us some flavour of that. Well, I I think you're
1: right. I think that what had happened in the past couple of weeks to both teams, really, had played into that confidence. I mean, not only had Arsenal's form upturned a little bit... um, Spurs had, you know, some of their cracks in their team had become evident as well. Uh, But it's still quite the swing. Let's not forget, at the international break, they were top and we were bottom. Mm. Um, They had won three from three. We had lost three from three. We now sit, albeit only in 10th, above them in the Premier League. Uh, So quite dramatic turnaround. But there was a a little bit of confidence. I was always going to the game. I've been on holiday in Mallorca and... uh, I very carefully sort of planned my flight, so I'd be back for this. That was nearly jeopardised by a delay, but Mm. nonetheless, I made it. And I actually turned up to the game with a sore throat. I I have a non-Covid-related sore throat. Colds still exist, who Mm. knew? (laughs) But I thought, um, I know, I'll just sort of go. And I'll sort of rest the throat a bit. You know, I'll clap along. I won't get swept up in it, carried away. And of course, I just <laughs> screamed my head off for three hours. And it, it was an absolutely brilliant atmosphere. I, I, it's, it's recency bias, I'm sure. But I can't think of many to rival it at the Emirates Stadium. I honestly can't. Um, it's always good on Derby Day. But this was up a notch. And I think... The pandemic and the fact that this was the first Derby back with fans played into that. I'm sure the good results against uh, you know, Norwich and Burnley and maybe even Wimbledon did too. They engendered a bit of belief. But it was raucous from the streets to the concourse to the stands to the bars before the game. I mean you know, the the songs were reverberating around kind of mm. the corridors of the Emirates Stadium long way before kickoff. And a two-for-one deal on beer, which ran, I think, up until 3.30 p.m., helped mm. certainly get people in the ground and in the mood. Yeah. Um, and it was just electric, to be honest with you. I mean, it was it was added to as well by the fact that the teams, because of COVID regulations, now don't come out the tunnel together. So it, they they come out separately. Mm. So, um, so Spurs, I think, came out first. And yeah. it was almost like, and now introducing the pantomime villains. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so there was just unadulterated booing as they made their way out to the pitch. And it was like, and now your heroes, the Arsenal. And then they came out. And that lent itself to just building the atmosphere. There was a very touching tribute for for Jimmy Greaves, yeah. which was brilliantly observed, applause all round the ground. And again, that just built it up, built it up, built it up. It was helped by the fact there were two very popular songs yesterday. The Saka and Emma Smith Rowe one, which, yeah. you know, is fantastic uh, on the old uh, status quo riff. And uh, Tottenham get battered everywhere they go, the chant, which yeah. was... <laughs> Again, thoroughly enjoyable. But it was it was kind of like, I know it's a very long answer, but it was kind of, um, there, there was such a togetherness. Mm. And I even would point out things like, in the first half, I was in the North Bank behind Aaron Ramsdale's goal, and I think Arsenal had gone one or two goals up. Every time the ball went out, there was a sort of interplay between Ramsdale and the ball boys where he was like telling them to not give the ball back quickly
0: without the referee noticing or the linesman. I actually saw somebody tweet about that. Uh yeah. I can't remember who exactly it was, but they were they were tweet they tweeted something like oh fair play to the ball boy who wouldn't give the ball back to whichever Spurs player it was and the ball boy in question actually replied said that was me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, like it was an ongoing game of like you know, they wanted to take their time over the goal kicks. If, if Spurs had, had a bit of pressure, say, and they wanted to just, you know, mm. take a moment, Ramsdale would sort of give a hand signal like, don't give me the ball. yet," yeah. And the ball boys would like pretend to drop it or like throw it over their own heads into the crowd. Oh,
0: brilliant. I found yeah. it here. It's uh, uh, at fun with Flair said, big up the ball boy in block nine who just mugged off Deli Alley and junior who's at uh, underscore junior04 on twitter said that was me haha ha, thanks with a big smiley face so they, well done Honestly, that man. <laughs> all
1: these kids were great and they, they there was like a clear kind of communication going on and you could see the linesman and the referee like school teachers kind of watching to see like <laughs> can we book this player can we book a
0: ball boy what's going on <laughs> imagine getting it, it, imagine the ball boy getting booked that would be the fucking ultimate brilliant
1: yeah so there was there was stuff like that I've never seen the manager like that, like he was in the stadium. I've never seen um, the atmosphere course through him in the way that it did. He was plugged into something Mm. big, big way. There was actually a moment in the second half, I think he was screaming at Kieran Tierney or something like that. He was pointing the second half where he really wanted the team to push higher up the pitch than they were. Mm. And... um, Who's the Belgian uh, assistant? I've forgotten his name. Uh, Albert Steubenberg. Steubenberg. Albert Steubenberg, yeah. He... um he actually had to sort of put his hands on McLaren's chest and make him go and sit down for a break. <laughs> he, he he pushed him away from the sidelines and sat him on his bench and was like, "You need a minute." And uh, and it was great. And I and I you know he did, but we all did by that point. It, it was just a very live, febrile mm. thing. Did that come across? On yes. TV?
0: It, it really did and i know it's a poor substitute for actually being there but you can always tell when there's a when there's a good atmosphere and when there's something happening and you know i think that what you say about arteta is really quite interesting um because you could see that and all week and maybe for the last couple of weeks he's talked up this thing about a connection between the team and the fans And I think it's worked out really well for him. I mean, some people will say, well, look, he's just trying to do a bit of PR, a bit of, you know, manage the situation because of all the criticism. And I'm sure that there was an element of that to it. I mean, what else can he do when he was in the difficult predicament that he was in after the first three games of the season and there was so much criticism? But I think he was building something for this game. I think he wanted that extra whatever percent it is that a crowd who's right behind the team can transmit from the stands to the players on the pitch for an, a, an occasion like this. You know what I mean? I think there's something mm. quite in that. And, and you know, maybe did we talk last week or the week before um, about, you know, what he said about the, the best 10 days or 15 days yeah. of his life. Remember, we had a little bit of a chat about that and it felt a bit strange at the time, but it's hard not to think that he had, like, you know, uh, you just said about Stevenberg making making him go and sit down and have a minute. Yeah. I think maybe that was the, the sort of longer equivalent of that, where I think something perhaps has changed or clicked within him. Um, and I know we're only talking about three games, and I know we're on a high after a North London derby, but you can still see things and sense things and feel things. And, and his reaction to, you know, I think he played his part in in getting that energy going as well, didn't he? I mean, I've never seen him celebrate goals the way that he celebrated goals, and there might be relief in that for him because I think he knew that this was this was the game where he had to, he had to back up everything that he's been saying about the team, about the players, about getting his team out there. I mean, this is very, very, very much his team now, his players. And we said that when he gets them, he's got to produce with them. And I think Burnley and Norwich and Wimbledon will be put in one category. And the North London Derby is a very, very different category. And he had to produce and he did and the players did and yeah you could sense that and and how much it meant to them did you see the picture the dressing room picture Mm. Mm. where i think you know there will be curmudgeonly people out there saying you know you're you're celebrating a, a win over spurs six games into the new premier league season but i think it it speaks to the kind of Togetherness that he's trying to foster behind the scenes and that I think he probably has. I don't think you get performances like that from players who aren't invested and who don't believe in each other and don't believe in what they're doing. You just don't. No. So, I, you know, I, I, th- I thought that was quite interesting that they that that was out there and they were happy for people to see that and and to see that, you know, the players, the squad, the coaches, the staff are are together. I mean, look, uh, we saw Stuart, didn't we, at the end? which yeah, was, brilliant. was brilliant. The, brilliant. The TV pictures, I was like, hey, wait a minute, there's Stuart. And Arteta's hugging him and he's really enjoying it. I think that just told you how much that meant to everybody.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't know if the camera's caught it, but he was pointing to him and yeah. to the crowd and... You know, Stuart's a part of the team. He really is. The players absolutely adore him, and mm. um, rightly so. He's a lovely guy. But that was a, that was another great moment. You're right to say it's Arteta's team. I saw Sam Dean in the Telegraph wrote a piece today. Six of these players were signed by him. Five given a new contract in that starting eleven. They mm. finished with all six summer signings on the pitch. Um, mm. so, so this is absolutely his team, and he has needed to deliver now that he's got those players. I'm relieved delighted for him that he did and it's you know he made that comment about the best 15 days I saw an interesting interview in fact Giles on Twitter um, pointed it out to me it was Ramsdale on being Sports talking about being gutted to have not been called up for the England squad but how valuable that kind of 12 10 to 12 days mm. he had at Coney was and when you think about the fact that he was there Gabriel didn't go away with Brazil Mm. in that time. Ben White also didn't go away with England. Arteta was actually there with a decent chunk of players and group. And I I think that that kind of break in the season, as much as we despise Interloles, came at absolutely the right time Mm. for the manager. Um, It enabled him to work on some stuff, put some defensive foundations in place. And I think also a bit of introspection. He does seem... Uh, a lighter Slightly
0: yes. changed character yeah, yeah 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 I think that's I think that's absolutely true uh, That's what I was maybe Forgot to reference earlier When I was talking about him That w- you can see that That there's maybe uh, Do I want to say Not that he was humbled But I think he had to Take a step back And And uh, and maybe Do things slightly differently Or with a different air I, I don't quite know Um you know, you, you look at his demeanor now compared to the start of the season. Even preseason, I think it's different before things mm. went wrong in those opening games. So, yeah, I mean, look, it was great. And, and to see that reciprocated from the stands to the players, to the manager. And I think, you know, you can you can talk about that connection all you want. And the fans will back the team in the stadium for the 90 minutes. But what what we also got yesterday was some really, really good football on top of a great result. Let's, you know, make no bones about the great result, but I think we've talked about the need to see an improvement in the way that we play, and I think we saw that yesterday. You know, I don't even know where to start with all this. I mean, the team, obviously, brought Granit Xhaka back Mm -hmm. uh, at the expense of Nicolas Pepe, Saka on the right, Emile Smith-Rowe on the left, uh, and everything else pretty much as expected. Um yeah, I mean, where do we go from here? Who do we start to analyse? Who do we talk about? I mean, because from front to back, from back to front, it's impossible almost to single out anyone. But I do think Smith-Rowe and Saka...
1: That was who I was going to say. I mean, the the two that
0: combined for the first goal. Um, I mean, the Halen boys, I mean, people have said, look, they have to start producing. They have to give us end product. You know, yeah. for all their talent, especially if you leave
1: Pepe out. Yeah, that's know?
0: exactly it. So, both of them with a goal and an assist. Um, so let's start with the let's start with the the first goal, I guess. Um, Smith Rowe on his toes in the box. Saka's cross, nice move from Arsenal to to get it out to him on the right hand side, uh, and. An early goal means so much in a game like this, doesn't it? Because we've seen Arsenal start relatively well before, and then if you don't get the goal, things can get a bit hairy. So to to sort of um, make the most of that dominance, because Arsenal were dominant in those opening stages, the intent, the, the aggression, the effort, the energy that we came out and played with, uh, I think all, as you said, fed off that energy that existed in the stands and everything else but to get the early goal was was just brilliant It was
1: and you know Saka came on against Wimbledon in the week I'm assured by those who were there had a very impressive cameo on the right hand side Um, I do think he tends to look more comfortable in that position Mm. at the present time Um, and we saw that again you know going on the outside, using his right foot, Smith Rowe arriving from the left, perfect time, perfect place, tucks it away. And yeah, just a fantastic moment. I mean, the quality of these players is one thing and it's enormous. And, you know, we are so lucky to have produced them through our academy. Mm. It's the product of a lot of good work, a lot of time and money invested in that academy for it to be turning out players like this. But it's the feeling, I think, that is what I take from it most, you know, the satisfaction, the delight in seeing two sort of purebred Arsenal players um, taking Tottenham apart. It's a real thrill, isn't it?
0: It is. And I think you made the point on your um, On the Whistle, not quite On the Whistle video, Mm. that what those guys might go for on the open market is... You know, it's absurd to think about, like out of our yeah. league, probably, you know. Um, so to have produced them from from inside the academy and for them to, you know, to do it on a day like yesterday in the North London Derby, what did Smith-Rowe say? It was the best day of my life. You know, mm-hmm. when you grow up a, an Arsenal boy and you come through the the academy and then you score the opening goal in the North London Derby in a game that you win, what a feeling that must be. What a feeling. Oh.
1: And, and, and the type of goal it was, I love too. Mm. I mean, it was almost that Robert Perez, Freddie Jumberg, diagonal yeah, movement yeah. from the left-hand side, arriving in the box. Um, we know he's got the capability. He's shown it at youth level. There have been flashes at senior level. Um, we do, you know, I don't wish to bur- burden those two young players too much, but if they're going to start ahead of Nicola Pepe, we do need... end product from them, goals and assists. They both absolutely have the potential and for them to produce it on the big stage, such a big occasion, was fantastic. And Smith Rowe, you know, I think one to 11, we were great. But I think in that first 45 minutes, his involvement in every goal means he has to be marked out for special commendation, really.
0: Yeah, I I just love watching him. I love watching, uh, you know, the way that he plays and how he, he reminds... You You mentioned Perez, and I know it's early days, but what, what Arsene Wenger used to say about Robert Perez being the oil in the engine, it feels a bit apt or or applicable to Smith Rowe because he does grease the wheels, if you like. You know, yeah. and keep things moving, so uh yeah, delighted for him, um second goal, it was a brief moment, but was your heart very slightly <laughs> in your mouth when Ramsdale played that pass to Shaka? just
1: a bit, just a <laughs> bit. I mean, as I said, I was behind that goal, so mm. and actually to give Spurs a, the smallest amount of credit, I think they made it quite tricky for us to play out from the back at times, um and I think that was a very conscious decision to look long. At other points, particularly later in the game, um, but in this instance, yeah, Ramsdale goes for the pass into Shaka. I think it was, uh, I think it was a mistake. To be honest with you, I think he was almost under too much pressure. But he does very, very well, and he <laughs> he, he he turns it from a situation where. You might be looking at conceding a goal to one where Arsenal are in a position to go up the other end and score. I, I, I'll be fascinated to know what Mikel Arteta thinks of that moment because it encapsulates, to a certain extent, the risk-reward mm. element of playing out from the back. You know, I don't know if it's brave or stupid to play the pass that Ramsdale did, but because it invites so much Spurs pressure, when Arsenal escape there's a break-on and there are opportunities.
0: It is, yeah. I mean, how do you find the balance? Uh, I suppose you would ideally want a safer pass, you -hmm. know, uh, particularly uh, to a player like Granit Xhaka, who has in the past been uh, robbed in situations like that, you know, under less pressure as well. I think he's had had passes played into him where he's had a, a bit more time and still ended up losing the ball. So credit to him, he did... He did well. I think it's a borderline foul, to be honest, but same, same. Uh, I'm not complaining. Uh, from there, though, I think it's, it's just sensational uh, attacking, counter-attacking play. Tierney into Aubameyang is a great pass. Aubameyang's flick around the corner to Smith-Rowe is yeah. just perfect, sumptuous. Mm. And uh, I think we've heard people suggest that Aubameyang can't do that. He can't link yeah. play. He yeah. can't play with his back to goal. He can only operate in the penalty area, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think, I don't ever think that's been true. I mean, maybe you could make the argument that, that Lacazette is better at that than he is, but it's not to say Aubameyang is incapable of it. Um, it's a brilliant uh, flick around the corner. Smithrow's first touch is just, uh, I could put it in a frame and just sit mm. and look at it like uh, a beautiful painting in an art gallery it is perfect perfect mm. uh, and I do think his pace is slightly underrated as well you know because the defender was getting nowhere near him
1: he's got a sprint on him he for does. sure.
0: he really does you know, in the
1: way that again to mention Freddie Jumberg did over sort of 10 to 15 yards mm. I think Smith Rowe has that little bit of explosion I just wanted to quickly touch on Aubameyang I talked about us going long from the back quite frequently in the course of the game, he competed in 16 duels. That was uh, a team high joint with Bukayo Saka and he f- he competed in eight aerial duels winning 75%.
0: Wow, I did notice that. Yeah.
1: Eric Dyer and Davison Sanchez, two big lumps. And I think it, part, the quality of the kicking helps and the height that he gets and it, it gives Aubayyang a chance to actually get a run and a spring. Mm. Um, but he did brilliantly and on that point of sort of Posting up and being the centre forward. Yeah. You know, he has been criticised. Some would say unfairly for that Uh, previously. I thought he did it brilliantly on this day. And yeah, look, it's a great finish from the goal. But for me, it is that touch from him that really makes it. You know, Mm. it's it's what suddenly releases Smith-Rowe. And of course, you know, Smith-Rowe does a lot of good work there. If you watch it back, I'm actually just watching it now. So... Shaka turns his man mm. or men as it were <laughs> uh, and he uh, gives it to Tierney uh, Smith Rowe Smith Rowe then lays it off to Tierney now he gets blocked off at that point Smith Rowe in the midfield I'm not sure it might be Ndombele can't quite see on, on the feed that I'm watching now but he gets sort of shoulder blocked essentially Dennis in his tracks having that happen he then thinks right I'm not having that and he sprints you know, 20, 15 yards. And by the time he receives the ball, he's yeah. separated 10 yards away from that man. It's pretty explosive stuff. And then he's got the p- presence of mind once he gets into the final third. a Aubameyang, classic centre-forward stuff, just hangs back a bit. And, yeah, beautiful pass off the left foot, yeah. finish off the left foot. What about, the, into the, far corner. What about
0: the celebration? Very <laughs> uh, familiar-looking celebration, wasn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I think... Uh, I don't think that's coincidence at all, to be honest with you. I think Aubameyang is a man who relishes these occasions, relishes these kinds of atmosphere, knows that these are the moments where you can become iconic. Mm. And, uh, you know, he he produced a little iconic moment of his own and a a lovely tribute to Thierry up in the stands. looking Very handsome indeed in that uh, retro Arsenal kit.
0: He sure was. Number 14 on his back. Kneeling down. Yeah, we've seen that before. That is for sure. (laughs) Now, can we please, please spend some time talking about how fucking hilarious the third goal is? Because I genuinely think that Harry Kane falling over, gifting possession to Arsenal, um, watching Arsenal counter really efficiently, I think uh, that that has to be mentioned. The Odegar pass into smith Smithrow's smith pass right into the path of Saka. Like he didn't mm-hmm. have... W- one of the things that frustrates me most about football is a player, let's say a player is overlapping and there's a pass onto him and he has to stop and check to take the ball and the ball is not played into his path, you know, so he can keep running and, and gain that little bit of advantage. It drives me yeah. mad. So... Smith-Rowe's pass into Saka was incredible. Saka drove on. He was trying to make a pass with his left foot. Kane gets back, slides in, and presents the ball perfectly for Saka to take it on and roll it in with his right foot. It is just... It's a, a beautiful goal, one that we deserved, but also absolutely hilarious because of the way it came about.
1: In it, Yeah, and, and I think... Um... You know, Harry Kane, the way he plays for Tottenham at the moment, it seems like he wants to contribute all over the pitch. And in this instance, <laughs> he really did. You know, he was at both ends for us. I, I saw Tayo, who filled in ably for me in my absence uh, in the pub after the game. And he said, when he saw Kane um, get robbed of the ball and slip by Partey, you know, deep in, inside our half, <laughs> He, in that instant moment he said please let Arsenal score from this <laughs> and, <laughs> and they went on and did and yeah the fact that Kane chased all the way back only to contribute um, with a kind of faulty challenge on Bukayo Saka made it all the sweeter so that was ideal and and credit to Thomas Partey by the way for the, the tackle and the interception right in the edge of his own box and credit to the medical team who you know clearly, and and the management who felt it was right to play him in midweek—a decision mm. that raised a few eyebrows—but I thought paid dividends. He looked he looked very good against Spurs, um, and Saka, yeah, finishing off and and looking much more like the player that we saw for the vast majority of last season. So they were be- They were all beautiful mm. goals, beautifully constructed. Something I forgot to say about the second one actually is that when Abemian goes to strike it. Martin Odegaard's arms go out in celebration
0: yeah, almost that. before he
1: hits it. <laughs> it's like there's real confidence that this is going in the corner. And I guess when you've got a striker who's feeling good about himself, you know, that's what happens. But they were all um, brilliantly carved out goals. And yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, you know, it was, it was 33 minutes on the clock, 3-0. Uh, I'm never relaxed enough in a North London derby no. to feel like it's game over. But, I was feeling pretty good at that. Point.
0: Every time I felt nervous, I went, just imagine it was 1-0. And then I was like, "Ah, oh, 3-0, yeah, that's, that's that's a lot better. I like this on the Discord from Hector's Headband, who said, I know it's early days and all that, but is the assist for the third goal already the best of the season? I mean, the precision, quick thinking, and belief in Saka to apply the finish was first class from Harry Kane. Uh, I wonder, is there a, a, a compilation, a collection... Uh, a website of best goals scored when someone you dislike intently falls over. I know, uh, you know, there's the John Terry slip for that one, um, in that crazy game at Stamford Bridge. Uh, there's also mm. a John Terry slip, wasn't there, in the, the cup final 2002 yeah. where Freddie Yumberg brushed him off and he just fell flat in his stupid face. So there must be a collection of those. Um, I want to do up to do stats for that like X splat or whatever it is, you know, that uh, the most falling over that an opposition player can be.
1: I I really enjoyed as well. I think it was Phil McNulty, uh, tweeted here saying the sight of Harry Kane falling over the ball to set Arsenal on their way for their third goal and then effectively applauding hundreds of empty red seats at the final whistle (laughs) summed up a truly horrendous North London derby forced by Spurs and it is true at the end of the game he went over to clap an empty away end basically (laughs) And I thought that is the perfect summation of his and Tottenham's afternoon.
0: Yeah, well, look, he looked a very unhappy man, didn't he? Did not, you know, yeah. necessarily want to be there. Uh, but tough shit, mate, you're stuck. You're going to be there forever. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very, very pleased about that. Um, second half, it yeah. is, it is one of those ones where I w- do. You remember that game against? Man United a few years ago where we scored, I think we scored three in the first half. Mm. Sanchez, Ozil, maybe Walcott scored the goals. I can't remember. But we scored a couple in quick succession. Then it was 3-0 and then I remember the second half being quite uneventful and quite boring. I was, I was sort of hoping for that. I mean, there's part of you that goes, well, "You could score another three if you, if you don't mind. I'd be yeah, okay yeah, with yeah. that." But I don't think that's the way that games like this go. Um, so it was about sort of sitting back, soaking up a bit of pressure, looking to counter on them. Um, what, what was your opinion of the <laughs> the Ben White foul on Kane?
1: Well, actually. That was the other end to me. So in the moment, I thought almost nothing of it. Right. Um, having seen it again? Uh, having seen it again, I think that's a penalty. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, I saw it last night on Match of the Day. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, I didn't know about that in the ground. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, there was that one. There was the Shaka one on the edge of his box where he, he turned his man, as we talked about, on the second goal. You know, we got a couple of breaks, I think. But they're overdue. They're, they're overdue. overdue, and 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 uh, you won't catch me complaining. It is interesting, though. You know, any other game three in a lap, I think I would feel relatively relaxed. But because it's Tottenham and because it's the derby, I mean, mm. crazy things happen in these games. Who can forget? Was it four or all? Yeah. Um, some time ago at the stadium, Arsenal had at least a two or three goal lead in that game, and it all went wrong in the final stages.
0: I remember being at a derby where we were 2-0 up and ended up losing 3-2, I think.
1: Right, yeah. You I remember Cabool a couple of West were 2-0 up and yeah. Yeah. lost 5-2 or whatever. So yeah. I, I do think um, you never quite know with a derby. And that, I, I my overriding sensation actually was that I just wanted it to be full-time, you know, like yeah. I, the first half gave me everything I needed and yeah. I just was sort of willing it to be over so I could celebrate it. Yeah. Um, A clean sheet would have been nice, you know, to really rub in the dominance. But I think anyone who saw that game knows beyond question Mm. that Arsenal absolutely battered Tottenham in that first 45
0: minutes. Yeah, they sure did. Uh, And thoroughly deserved the win and everything else. Like you say, clean sheet would have been nice. The goal, I, I think it's almost funny in a way, because mm-hmm. you talk about Kane going over to an empty away end, Son scoring, and, you know, trying to G up the few remaining Spurs fans in the ground as if it was going to make any real difference, uh, I thought was quite funny. But obviously I'd much prefer if, uh, if he hadn't scored. Ramsdale a bit More unlucky. Mistake. Yeah. He yeah, talked like- about it afterwards. He did a good interview with um with David Seaman, I think it was. Uh, I thought it was quite a funny bit where They were talking to him from the studio, and they said, oh, was was Seaman a kind of goalkeeper that you grew up watching? And he went, I'm not that old. (laughs) No, that made me feel very old Uh, there. Yeah, listen, tell me about it. Uh, (laughs) On your 50th birthday, that's not what you want to hear.
1: But, uh, yeah, somebody asked us in the questions. forgive me, I, I can't remember who it was. They said, should he have saved it?
0: Um he said he should've saved it if his he said if uh, his weight was different he feels like he would have saved it he would have had a stronger hand to it his body weight but, was yeah. forward yeah goalkeeper stuff i didn't
1: understand it but yeah i think having got hand to it maybe um but it was a pretty decent reaction and he, he, you know he made a couple of other
0: Well i mean good there was saves. one really good save right at the end wasn't it from Lucas Moura i think where he the ball shot. hit the bar it was yeah i mean that was a crucial crucial save because even with a couple of minutes left if that had gone in you know you're times. no I wouldn't like that I, I no wouldn't... and
1: also it would have taken the sheen off I think for them to feel like oh you know we mounted a comeback but couldn't yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah there's something about a 3-2 scoreline that just wouldn't have really reflected uh, the way that we played particularly in that first half um, so yeah that was a, a really brilliant save but I think you know, Son, he got his goal, but I don't think that tells the story of his game. I think Spurs made a big mistake putting him on Tommy Asu's side, and thinking mm. he'd get any change out of him. I mean, obviously, I know that you know he's, he's uh, had that moment where he slipped. I think and Kane went through on goal, delightfully lobbed it wide. Um, but other than that, I thought he was br- excellent. You know, yeah, really, really strong.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the the work that Mikel Arteta was able to do on the training ground yeah. with Gabrielle, Ben White, Ramsdale, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe it's overlooked that Tommy Asu has come in and didn't have any of that and has slotted no. in at right back and given us this kind of balance, defensive solidity, which is great. Again, we saw how good he is in the air, Um but also a, a real balance to to the way the team can operate. So, Huge credit to him. I think we've got a question about him uh, in the second half, so we can chat about him a, a little more. Um, midfield, Thomas Partey and Granite Shaka. I know a lot of people didn't want to see Shaka back in the team, and I understand it because, you know, I would have been okay with it not happening either. Mm. But... It did feel nicely balanced, didn't it? That um, the two of them operated uh, very well together. I know you were glowing in your praise of of Partey afterwards on on the video. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is just that extra extra quality in midfield that we've needed for such a long time.
1: I think so. I mean, there was that moment, wasn't there, where he played a kind of sixty yard pass oh, into a path, and yeah. sort of took your breath away. But he he just does what you want him to do. You know, when you're watching a player and it's kind of like, well, it'd be great if he could sort of turn this way and break into that space I can see on my television and mm. he'll do it. Mm. Um, uh, he really is top quality. I think he could play in the best Arsenal teams. You know, mm. I really do think that. And I think for for a, t- a club who are outside of Europe, <laughs> to have a player of his calibre is a, a real bonus. I mean, he... he Hopefully, he'll get European football soon because he's definitely someone who deserves that stage. Um, but I, I think, yeah, I, I think he was brilliant. I think having Shaka next to him, listen, we can't have the whole Granite Shaka conversation again because it would be every week. But I do think that amidst the justified criticism of him for his sending off, I think it was sometimes a little overlooked that his partnership with Partey has, in general, been very strong and I almost felt like with quite a young team it was almost like having sort of parents on the pitch you know like <laughs> two guys who are 28 and 29 Shaka's 29 today I believe um, who absolutely know their job inside out mm. um, in Shaka's case not a perfect player flawed player but a very a decent central midfielder next to Thomas Partey who's this massive talent mm. and I think that they dovetail quite effectively and that's not always been easy to find especially with Shaka. you know he's had a lot of partnerships that haven't worked so I think we've got something good there
0: um, I wasn't particularly surprised that Arteta went back to it in the end. Mm. I, I do wonder about the injury that he picked up yeah. towards the end because uh, I, I didn't see what happened at first but Partey clattered into Moura, who then fell into Shaka, and his leg did that buckling inside thing, which mm. is never good. I know he limped off, and um, he was there after the game with the celebrations and all the rest of it, but I, I would I'd just be a little bit cautious about what might um, happen from here. Sector we'll wasn't
1: optimistic um, in his post match press conference. He said it doesn't look very good. Right. So, yes, that would be a shame um, because I think he... And he got a good reception when he went off, you know. I mm. think uh, he did <laughs> he did that Shaka thing of sort of going some way towards redeeming his latest misdemeanour with a very good performance. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope he's not out for too long. But I thought those two, yeah, they were kind of like... It's kind of like having stabilisers in the team in some ways, you know. They just underpin it. A yeah. Bit. Um, I,
0: th- I think we've talked about everyone... Um- But Martin Odegaard. Yeah, which would be a huge oversight. It would be, because I think I I watched him yesterday and I'm so happy that we signed him and I'm so happy that we were able to sign him and that he, you know, was willing to come, I guess, you know, to a, a team which isn't operating in the Champions League, which is what he would have got at Real Madrid. Maybe he wouldn't have played as much or been as important, but I do think that the way he. I think there's still some room for improvement with him in terms of the physical aspect of the Premier League at times. There are moments here and there where you think, Okay, if he was just a little bit stronger, but I think he'll learn, I think he'll develop uh, you know, physically as well over the coming years and he'll get more used to that side of, of Premier League football. But the the energy that he brings to the team, the the way he tries to uh, press, he leads mm-hmm. that press. Um, I, I was just so impressed with him yesterday. Uh, some of his passing was superb as well. He was involved in the build-up to the goals. another player, a bit like Smith rome when we talk about oiling the engine, you know, a link in that you know in that chain of counterattacks which brought us the goals.
1: And I think there's been a conversation around the club this summer about leaders and leadership. And, you know, we lost David Louise, who was a big figure in that regard. And, you know, Alteta came out, or was it Edu, in fact, forgive me, who came out with the sort of kind of five names of, uh, you know, Leno, Aubameyang, Shaka, Parte, Lacazette. Mm. These are the kind of senior players we're looking to lead the side. But I, I think that um, while some of those players have been relatively absent from the first team, certainly in the league, I, I think that what Edu said overlooked maybe because he didn't want to apply too much pressure on these young players the fact that there are players among this young group who are outside of that five who are leaders in their own way and I would include Odegaard in that bracket Mm. certainly yeah I would probably I would probably put Ramsdale in that bracket as well
0: (laughs) he's a (laughs) he's a personality isn't he He really yeah uh,
1: these guys they're only 22 23 but some of them are very experienced and some of them are big personalities and I think Odegaard, I think he's a. I think he's going to be a top player. I really do. Mm. I think increasingly you look at that transfer and it looks like daylight robbery to me in terms of what Arsenal paid. Um, you know, there've been question marks over Arsenal spending and some of the spending on English players maybe does look a bit heavy, but I think they got a terrific deal for Martin Odegaard. Uh, uh, yeah, and I'm delighted that he's here.
0: Yeah, look, I think for there's been plenty of criticism of the way we've done some of our transfer business of late, justifiably so in some cases. But I think getting Odagar on loan last January was a really, really smart piece of business, and signing him for that kind of fee, even in this market, I think is is really good business. So uh, yeah. you know, he, he
1: was—I I thought he was brilliant mm, in the first half. I, yeah, I, agree. I really did. Like every touch was um, pretty magical, to be honest. I, I just thought, wow, this guy has a really natural, really mm. inherent technique. And he marries that with huge work ethic. It's not easy to find. Um, it's very hard to come by that combination. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see more of him. And, and And also it's fascinating, isn't it? He played such a different role against Burnley, so much deeper and linking the play more from, from in, in our own half at times. There's a lot he can do, and I think, I think there's more to come still.
0: For sure. I mean, I think his technical quality is obvious, and it was noticeable just before the first goal that he was playing quite wide right, at times mm. behind Saka uh, allowing Saka maybe to drift in field a bit but also to, to give the team that balance when Tommy Asu comes inside that sort of interior um, position that he takes up Odegaard was playing out on that right hand side but look he does it all he works hard he's got the technical quality we saw him deliver a match winning goal last week another player who we said we've got a CN product for we've got it from him last week um, he played his part in the goals Saka Rowe, Aubameyang the guys delivered absolutely so it was a, a tremendously fun afternoon uh, at the emirates or wherever you were watching it it was it was great fun so i don't know will we take a break or is there anything else you want to comment on in part 1 before we do that
1: just a couple of things just to go mm. back to arteta's thing about his 15 days and you know that being the best mm. experience of his football life i wonder if he's had a better experience on a football field as a manager than he did yesterday I, I know he won the FA Cup.
0: But there were no fans at the but FA Cup. there were no Cup. fans.
1: Yeah. It was an empty stadium. I'm not sure he would have experienced a feeling quite like yesterday's before mm. this point. Um, I agree. Uh, you know, I found myself thinking, well, if they were the best 15 days of your life, the last 15 days haven't been too bad either. Yeah. Uh, so he's had a good, he's had a good month.
0: <laughs> well, he has, but yeah. I, I, He's dug himself uh, I, out of a bit of a hole in a way, but you know, the the, of the course. That, that relief and that that energy and look there was some talk before the game about like do the players understand the derby and everything else? But you know, he played in he played in uh, the old firm Derby. He played in the Merseyside Derby, he played in the North London Derby. The man understands what it means to play in these kind of high stakes games that, you know, don't bring you a trophy but they mean so much to your team and to your fans and to your club. He understands mm. that. And I think I think he got it spot on yesterday in terms of how he uh, selected the team, the performance he elicited from them. Um, it was a really positive day for him, not just because we won, but because of the way we played. It mm. was convincing. So I think it's, you know, I think you're right. This is probably one of his best days, if not his best day as a manager. You know, he's still really inexperienced, isn't he, Um, in the grand scheme of things. So these moments, and he has always said that, you know, he, he misses the fans. He wants the fans back in there. And I know it's easy for people to say, well, you're lucky the fans weren't there last season at times, but maybe it would have been slightly different with fans in the stadium because it's a symbiotic relationship.
1: He's always said as much. Um, he's always said it's going to be a big factor in mm. this team's success. And yesterday it was difficult, you know, not to believe him. Just finally, I wonder as well, should we have a moment's silence or, or reflection for <laughs> Bruno Fernandez's penalty? Um, I don't know if you've seen the outpouring of grief from uh, Bruno and the other Manchester United players after his penalty, I, which I believe is still travelling somewhere
0: in orbit. <laughs> uh, it's up there with Chris Waddles from the 1990 World Cup. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I only saw a very brief um, snippet of it, but Emmy uh, yeah. Martinez <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting some plaudits, yeah, pointing at Ronaldo and then Bruno Fernandes. I mean, if ever a player had a face to miss a penalty, it is, it is Bruno Fernandes.
1: Yeah, and it, it, there has been this kind of bizarre procession of kind of social media, um, you know, uh, what is it, acceptance of responsibility and, uh, yeah. Did Strange he make a tweet about it or something, did he? Yeah, yeah. He put out like a four-page Instagram post about how he always gives his best for the team. And he, he did he not really. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Manchester United today have put out a tweet saying united always with a picture of Bruno looking sad <laughs> what and a bunch of wankers yeah quotes of his tweet with other players like saying we are with you always on my team it's so so strange
0: <laughs> you just missed
1: a penalty for and my my, so- my favorite is that this is the Manchester United um official account and the first reply on it is from a united fan he says, This is nice, but it won't make my nan feel any better. She was sitting in the back row and his penalty knocked her out cold.
0: <laughs> uh, it is it is weird, you know, that this this social media culture is driving that kind of Nonsense, Isn't it? Mm. You know, yeah. I, I know it's a different world we live in now and everything else, but, like, player misses penalty. Fucking, it's not the end of the world. Fuck's sake. But, yeah,
1: I mean, I, I, <laughs> I enjoyed that. It was a quite a good weekend all round, actually. I mean, you know, United were beaten, Chelsea were beaten, Spurs were beaten. Yeah. Um, it's yeah, good. thoroughly enjoyed it. It's
0: good. It's good, and we should enjoy it. And, you know, we've got... Green shoots that we talked about um, a few weeks ago after the Norwich game are, are are sprouting now. I don't know if we've got flowers yet, but, or vegetables. What do we want from our garden? Do we want flowers or vegetables? Vegetables are more useful, but I'm not vegetables.
1: sure. That... I need fruit and vegetables, I think, Yeah. over this sore throat. <laughs>
0: um, cool. I think that's good for part one, isn't it? I think so. I think so. So look, let's take a break and we'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Can we have the jingle again? Yeah. Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arse Blog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Before we get into the uh, meteor questions, James, a lot of people have been asking us this. They're looking for some clarification because I don't know if we've made it clear or not. So, for example, Tony Kent, who's at 2-0 down, says, would you mind telling us what you really think of Tottenham? So what what do you think of tottenham
1: hmm well i mean obviously you know yesterday was a good chance to get a good look at them um and really kind of try and sort of develop a a, a clear analysis on who and what they are Mm -hmm. um and having ruminated on it on the sort of 24 hours since I i think i've come round actually to my original opinion um so I, would say, I would say they're sh- shit. W- why? What do, you, what do you think of them?
0: I would also say they were shit. But then that begs the question, what do you think of shit? Have you ruminated on that sufficiently to provide that an answer? That is interesting. And, and believe you
1: me, I had an opportunity to ruminate on that when I went into the Block 6 men's toilets and someone had... <laughs> oh, no. I don't know what had happened in there, but let me just say the door of the cubicle had come off. And there was fecal matter oh, no. <laughs> all over the inside of that cubicle. It was it was like a bomb had gone off, and I and I saw that uh, only on Derby Day do you get stuff like that. And I saw that, and my immediate thought was, "What do I think about that?"
0: Tottenham. Wow! Someone put Tottenham in the cubicle, and it exploded into the shit that it is. Essentially, right. Essentially. I think we've covered that then, have we? Yeah, thank you. All right. Uh, that's all right. Uh, okay, let's get on with the questions. Do you want to go first, or will I go first, or how, how do you want to play this?
1: Uh, I'll tell you what. There's been a few sort of questions that are a bit like, ooh, was it that good? Ooh. So, so <laughs> I, I think that we should sort of get that out the way. All right. So, Joe... I'm not picking on you, Joe, who's at Red and White 11 says, we've seen a few games now under our where we've been scintillating in one half and less so in the other. Mm. Games usually have phases, but how far away are we from keeping that high level up for a whole game? And is this a fitness or a mentality issue? That's one of the softer ones, to be fair to Joe. Um, do you, does it worry you that we didn't uh, maintain that level of performance for the 90 minutes?
0: No, like I said to you, I was looking for a really boring, uneventful second half, to be honest. I would have Mm. preferred more goals, obviously, but it's about controlling a game and managing the game state. And I think if you, you know, what happens if Arsenal go for it in that second half and leave a bit of space for Tottenham to score early and then it becomes a bit more hairy if they score early and then they score another one? You get criticised for not being smart, for not trying to negate the strengths of of the opposition. I mean, I think there's a wider point about us needing to play like that more consistently, and I think that's true. Mm -hmm. You know, it was encouraging to see us play that well in the the first half, but we need to see it more often. Um, But I don't really buy into the like, I saw Graham Souness talking on, on Sky Sports afterwards, and he was so miserable yeah. about everything. It was just like... I never really knew that he was a Spurs guy, you know? Yeah, he started his career there and even referred yeah. to them as we. So I know.
1: That had sort of somehow escaped me
0: yeah. to this point. So we're, we're sort of damned if we do and we damn and damned if we don't. You know, if we play well and dominate Spurs, it's because Spurs are terrible. Fuck off. We were really good they can be terrible and we can also be really good at the same time. And I think that was true about the way I that we so. played in that first half. You know, energy, commitment, precision, uh, attacking verve. We took some risks that paid off. We, we, you know, we spoke at length about that second goal and what a brilliant counter attack it was. You know, so Arsenal played really, really well. And we didn't allow Tottenham to play uh, in any significant way in that first half. I mean, they were just... I mean, they were bad. They were just lumping the ball upfield. Um, there was no midfield to speak of, which is very um, agreeable if you're an Arsenal fan. It's good to see that they just bypassed that entire area of the pitch and left it open for us. And when you've got players like Odegar and Smith-Rowe and Partey in there who can do what they do, uh, you know, it makes your life easier. But they made some changes as well at, at, at halftime. They made two changes... So, they addressed some of the issues that they had in the first half, too. You know, um, like you say, you know, they can't allow Arsenal to go and score a fourth, and a fifth, or a sixth goal in a derby like that. You know, I think if you're if you're on the receiving end of that um, result in a game like this, what is your what is your uh, what is your goal at halftime? It's to sort of kill the game a little bit, isn't it? To make sure that you don't concede any more. So always try and have some pride. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So as bad as they were, they were able to do that, and we had no real onus on us to go and attack. But I think we, I think we um, did pretty well in general in the second half. We invited them on. They didn't really pose any great threat. They had a couple of moments here and there, but for the most part, we we defended well. I thought we managed the game well and you could complain that maybe it wasn't as exciting, but maybe it's a sign of game intelligence or whatever you want to call it, that we were able to do that. So I'm not worried about it.
1: No, and I honestly don't think it's reasonable to expect that intensity we played that first 45 minutes with Tendure across 90 minutes. I just don't think that happens, really. Um, I think it was so explosive and so devastating. It was kind of inevitable that there would be a... A cooling off in the second half. And I think you're right. I mean, they did bypass the midfield a bit. Spurs, they were bad. I mean, if you play in mm. Dombele and Ali in midfield, you know you've got two guys there who basically don't go backwards. Mm. Um, and that gave them problems. <laughs> I actually think Nuno's going to be in big trouble there. Yeah, um, I don't think it's the it
0: squad that suits him, is it?
1: No. It just looks like the wrong fit for all sorts of reasons. Almost as if... He wasn't the first choice or second choice mm. or third choice or fourth choice.
0: Long may it last. Long may it last. I did really <laughs> yeah. enjoy um, Tony Adams on Sky talking about how bad Spurs were. And he goes, I don't want to single anyone out, you know, but Deli Ali, Jesus Christ, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And for a guy who's caused us problems in the past, it's wonderful to see him play as poorly as he did. Same with Kane. You know, it is good to see guys who, who have caused us pain in the past, inflict pain upon themselves so I'm delighted yeah, about there that.
1: was a funny thing in um, that Ramsdale interview with Seaman where they said at the very end Seaman sort of says to him well you know North London derbies won't always be this easy <laughs> and Ramsdale just said we'll see
0: <laughs>
1: which made me laugh I mean of course, of course they won't be but it's a nice idea to think they might all be like that
0: one yeah 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 okay here's one from TB who's at Rotten Red 12 uh, he says morning gents great win but should we should we be worried about Arteta's reluctance to use subs earlier despite players being exhausted yeah. on the pitch we need to protect Saka and Smith-Rowe not run them into the ground I think this is an interesting question curious to know what you think about this
1: yeah I- it is an interesting one and I and I was watching the game, kind of thinking, right, how you know, how and where does he change this? I'm just gonna bring up the the sub so I can sort of see what he did. So I, I found it fascinating who he brought on, and it was very similar to against Burnley, where we finished the game with an ultra athletic team, you mm. know, with Nuno Tavares and Ainsley Maitland Niles um on the wings, you know, a lot of uh Athletic power. I mean, Nuno Tavares is just an absolute unit, that guy. He is, isn't Um, he? Yeah, yeah. And I think if he puts it all together, he's going to be a really difficult player to handle. And Lokonga came on as well for Shaka, of course, who was injured. I I had the sense, looking at the game and looking at Arteta on the sidelines and the conversations he was having, and of course I'm projecting here, but Mm. I, I really felt that he kind of felt he had his 11 out on the pitch, And he was pretty happy with them Mm. for the most part and not desperate to change it. But it is interesting, isn't it? I mean, he had Lacazette there, didn't use him again. Had Pepe there, didn't use him. Um, Had Martinelli, of course. It's an interesting one. I I think ultimately, I think he got it right. What what were the timings of Smith-Rowe and Saka
0: coming off? (laughs) Um, Let's have a look. I have it on the live blog somewhere. So okay, Saka came off in the eighty second, eighty seventh minute, eighty eighth minute for Smith Rowe. So uh, they came off together, basically, more or, or less. So, yeah, there was like a yeah. I throw think maybe that could
1: have been earlier. Maybe that could have been earlier. Um But I just had the sense that he
0: he felt he had his best players on the field. Um. I agree. What did you think I, I thought that too? I, th- I I can understand why he was reluctant to change it because it worked and it was working. Even though you know Spurs had got the goal, it's an interesting aspect of this season because for the most part we're going to go into games on a Saturday or a Sunday, having not played in midweek. Yeah. So you don't yeah. have that issue of fatigue where a player is going into a game and you're thinking seventy minutes he can do 70 minutes, or you're considering a game in midweek where you're thinking, I want to keep him a little bit fresh, I'll give him 70 minutes, and I'll change things around. That's not really an issue. So it's, it's going to be a fascinating aspect of this season where if games are going well the only reason to make a change is to sort of keep people involved rather than having to make changes to to change the dynamic of a game, if you know what I mean. So there, I didn't think he necessarily needed to change anything. I did wonder a little bit when a couple of players went down with cramp. It's uh, This is interesting. I think Saka had some cramp. Mm. I think Smith... Was it Smith-Rowe? No, it was Saka as well who had cramp. Saka and Shaka. But also Ramsdale. And he talked about it. He said um, in his interview, the, the interview with Seaman, he said, I was I had cramp in my calves for l- like the last 20 minutes. I had four energy gels. and going to be awake all night. Uh, I didn't spot
1: the cramp. But I did see there was a point where Kieran Tierney had to pass on a message from mm. Ramsdale to get him some of these energy gel things. Yeah. And they ran... Uh, one of the physios had to basically run round to the goal mouth to give it to him. Um, yeah. That is interesting. It yeah. is
0: interesting because a goalkeeper getting cramped, you're thinking, what's going on? Because it's not like they cover the same amount of ground as an outfield player. I mean, I would be curious to see um, his sort of distance cover because he is an active guy, isn't he? In, in his goal and in his area and when the ball's up the other end of the pitch. Um, Covered some some ground on his celebrations as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. I don't know whether it's the 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 intensity of the training, but cramp has been a bit of a feature over the last couple of weeks. That's true. And I wonder, is that a, a, a consequence of the way we're training and how hard we're training? Um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, it's bad, I guess, when it's happening in games. But if we want the players to be fit and to last ninety minutes, then maybe that's part and parcel of what we have to do on the training ground and and the sort of stamina training that we're putting in. Could be the weather, yeah, and I'm not an hot expert, weather,
1: etc. Hot weather. Maybe they're growing physically into the season. Um, mm. Maybe I'll take a look into it. I think it would be an yeah. interesting piece, maybe. But yeah, that, that's a very good point. I mean, it has been a trait in our games recently, mm. so. And unusual, certainly, for a a goalkeeper to suffer in that way. Um, But yeah, on the subs, I mean, do you think they could have been a little bit earlier? Or do you think the game was too finely balanced at that point?
0: Maybe, maybe a little bit earlier. But like I said, I understood why he would have been reluctant to change it based on what he got from those players yesterday. And I think maybe he was hoping they could finish out the game you know? Yeah, I mean, he had to make an enforced change as
1: well yeah. first, let's not forget. I don't think he would have, I mean, maybe Shaka would have come off because it was his first game back after a significant break. But generally, if Shaka starts, he stays on. Um, mm. So maybe having lost one of his changes to that, he was a little bit more cautious. Again, I, I'm not overly worried about this. And some will say, well, that's because we got the result. Um, but I, I, I think I understood his tendency to err on the side of "I've got a team out there who this is working for," and ultimately, you know, Bukayo Saka and Emil Smith Rowe mm. do now have six days of recovery, which they would not have got last season.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I think um, it's your go.
1: I think it is my go. Let's have a look. Um, never ready. He knows it's going to happen. <laughs> and yet he's never ready. It's absolutely incredible. You're like a substitute
0: Rat- that doesn't have his shin pads <laughs> in and his shirt on and all that kind of stuff. Um, here we go.
1: Rattan Postwala on Twitter says, some of the reasons behind Aubameyang's lack of goals last season were undoubtedly our structure, our style, our lack of creativity. Willian, he mentions as well. But are we underplaying the importance of an audience, an audience for one of football's greatest showmen, he looks renewed and
0: refreshed this season. I think it's... I think there was a lot going on for him last season. We've said this before. There was the mm. perfect storm of all the things um, that, that saw him produce such a low goal-scoring tally compared to what he normally does. You know, the, the team not playing particularly well, the enforced absence um, for personal reasons, being ill... All of those things. I i was hopeful. I was actually generally quite optimistic that he would find his form again mm. this season. I know that there were reasons to be worried. Um, the age and the fabled age cliff and all of that kind of stuff. I understand why people were worried. And it's easy to immediately think of the most negative outcome for anything. But I'm delighted to see him um, back on the score sheet. There's a big goal Um, yesterday. uh, He scored against Norwich. Wasn't it? Was he scored against Norwich? He scored the winner. Um, Mm -hmm. He scored in the, the League Cup. And I think the performance that he put in, the energy that he put in, it was very much an sort of atypically all-round centre-forward performance from him yesterday. Mm. Um, He was obviously asked to do certain things. He was asked to be an outlet from some of the long balls, and he did that really, really well. Again, not something that people would consider his his natural strength, if you know what I mean.
1: And we didn't have Pepe, who we often (coughs) aim for Mm. with those and i thought he did that very well yeah. he, he was he was he was excellent against norwich i think all round he was very good in that game and mm. i thought he was really he was better than that against spurs so there are encouraging signs i would say from him for sure mm. and i do think that some consistency and some certainty about what his role in the team is yeah. seems to be helping him
0: i agree I agree. I know other people have commented on this in the past, but but the sort of flip-flopping between playing him on the left and using Lacazette, uh, it, it seems this season that Aubameyang is absolutely the nailed-on starting centre-forward in mm-hmm. this system, in this team, this new-look team that Mikel Arteta has put together, and that's a good thing. I think for him, we've made the investment in him. We gave him the contract, we have to get the goals and we have to get the... the what you call it... Um, the value for money, if you like, based on his contract. Um, So I think he's had a good start to the season. You know, he's got five goals under his belt already. We've played, what, six games, seven games, something like that in all competitions. He has five goals. He hasn't played in all of those games because he missed a couple of them at the start because of the COVID thing. So it's a good start to the season. And I can see, it's easier to see now how he is going to score the goals that we want him to score, isn't it?
1: Yes, and I think particularly when he has that trio of Odegaard, Smith-Rowe and Saka behind him, he looks dangerous. I think that was who played when he scored the hat-trick against Leeds uh, last season. And that was the sort of real flicker of life that we saw from Aubameyang in the mm. middle of the previous campaign. I do think the crowd, it, I'm not going to say it improves his performance, but I think it makes him happier, you know? I
0: think that's true for every player, though. I think it... Yeah. it, I think it like, when you grow up and you play your entire career with fans and then you're playing in these sterile, empty environments, like, it's the worst thing. It is the worst Mm. thing. We all understand uh, understand why it happened and it had to happen and everything else. But, you know, there's a reason why being made play a game behind closed doors is a form of punishment. Maybe it's not the strongest punishment that that should have been handed out for some of the offences that it was, but it is seen as a punishment. And all of a sudden, every team and every player is having to operate in this weird environment. So I think there are some players who will thrive off it a bit more, and I think the the reference to Aubameyang as a kind of showman, we've seen him with the celebrations, we've seen him with the masks and all those kind of things. I think he really relishes that aspect of it, you know? I think he does too,
1: you know? think of what it meant for someone like Ian Wright to play in front of a crowd. Mm. I'd, I'd love to know what Ian would think about if you took all that away. You know, if you took the performative aspect of it away. Mm. I, I do think it would affect you as a person and how much it affects you as a player is really difficult to say. But uh, he looks, he does look refreshed as the question suggested and hopefully is somewhat rejuvenated. I, I really, 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 we all know Mm. If Arsenal are to achieve their goals this season, it's his goals that will help them do that.
0: Here's one from the Discord, Rock Jar. He says, uh, we all enjoy celebrating goals, but how are you feeling watching the bond being made between Ramsdale, who most people didn't want five weeks ago, and the back four, him celebrating every save and tackle made with the cheeky smile towards the fans? I love it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's... He's charmed the pants off the Arsenal fans, Aaron Ramsdale, very quickly. Mm. And I do think he provides a bit of a sort of salutary lesson in some ways. A lesson for supporters in that we should try. It's not going to happen all the time, but we should try to judge players based on what they do once they pull the Arsenal shirt on, you know? Mm. I think there was so much opposition to this move. And of course that's part of football talking about transfers. And if you think it's a good idea or not, I get it, but it went to a really extreme degree, I think in his case. Um, and you know, I think a lot of those people will have been surprised subsequently, but I I also think he provides a bit of a lesson to, to players too, to show that fans can be incredibly forgiving, um, if you produce mm. and you know we've had signings you think of for example Willian who came from Chelsea there was a lot of opposition to that deal at the time and people were uncomfortable with it for lots of different reasons and thought it maybe wasn't the best idea or the smartest move but Ramsdale shows if you perform on the pitch and if you demonstrate your commitment then I think fans will buy into that. Mm. It's retrievable. It's always retrievable. Um, so it's a very heartwarming thing to see. And, I, and I, think, uh, he's, I think something you forget is he's 23. I mean, there aren't many goalkeepers who play at that age. And he's played a lot and he's playing well right now. Mm. I think inevitably there will be a mistake. You know, there nearly was yesterday, especially with the risks that he takes. So I think the good thing is he's got some credit in the bank, um, and I hope that fans will be understanding when that when that happens. Because mm. when you have young centre halves, when you have young goalkeepers, I think you have to accept that that is inevitability. But I do think he's had a massive impact, and, and, and we had a question Desert Guna who said, "How transformative has the Ramsdale signing?" been for this team. His energy and charisma feel very representative of the qualities Arteta has repeatedly said he wants at Arsenal. And it, 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 there is something quite magic about the chemistry he seems to have with the supporters already. It's yeah. uh, quite amazing, actually. I, 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 it's rare to see a player change people's minds that fast.
0: It is. Uh, look, he's got a big personality, doesn't he? He, he He's a really likeable character from the interviews that I've seen with him, he seems a very grounded young man but also just a nice guy kind of funny guy to be around you know, he's Mm. celebrating goals, I remember looking at him in the first game that he played um, was in the League Cup Yeah, playing that one and like you look at some of the, the, the pictures that emerge after the game and like there's just all these he's celebrating each goal like it's a winner in a cup final uh, and I think that kind of enthusiasm and energy is very difficult to to not get on board with. You need to have a heart of stone to not enjoy mm-hmm. that, you know, to see a player loving what his teammates are doing and didn't he say like, you know, the the fans are like his way of celebrating because everyone else is up the other end of the pitch and he's mm-hmm. sort of left on his own so the only people he has to celebrate with are the fans. Uh Look, I I think he's had a great start to his career. Um the skepticism about his signing I think it came at sort of the height of the skepticism about everything that the club were doing at that time, you know, in the in the summer transfer fair, window yeah. and it 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 was maybe magnified or exacerbated by that. Um, you know, other stuff about how we were going to pay forty million or forty-five million for him, and, and you know, you could understand why people were asking, "What is this? How is this making sense?" It makes a lot more sense now. It makes a lot more sense, and as I, I think we've said before, we were buying a first-choice goalkeeper. We were buying a goalkeeper that we were going to make our first choice at some point. I think we've all been a bit surprised about how quickly it's happened, mm-hmm. but it's happened and that's why we spent the money and it appears thus far to have been a a, a good investment. And I hope that he does develop and continues to develop that, that relationship with the fans because uh, it can only be a positive thing. If he continues, if he plays well, you know, every goalkeeper that we've ever had made mistakes. Um, There was big opposition, I think, to, David Seaman being signed at the time yeah. because people like John Lukic uh, David Seaman made mistakes d- you know despite the fact he was our you know arguably one of our greatest ever goalkeepers Jens Lehmann made lots of mistakes but was part of a team which did something unique and incredible um, the best goalkeepers will still make mistakes so I hope that when the inevitable happens with Ramsdale something goes wrong for him and um, it isn't just sort of a flip right the way around to the other side and, you know, all this I told you so nonsense. Um, we have to be somewhat accepting that, you know, players are fallible and human and everything else. Um, but like you say, he's got some credit in the bank already and I hope it's sometime down the line before anything like that happens. Uh, I've, I've yeah. just really liked what I've seen from him so far and I think the energy, the point about the energy, the character, the personality that he brings to the team, it's different. It's helped us view... This team in a in a different way after a very traumatic start to the season, and I think it's it's a it's a real positive aspect to what's gone on.
1: I think so, and I, something I find fascinating about it is sometimes you don't know what you're missing until you see it. Like I don't think anyone would have identified. Oh, we need someone at the back who's this big, ebullient character who you know, is kind of vocal and dominating. Mm. It's not something people were talking about particularly. And then when you see it on the pitch, you suddenly understand, ah, yeah, we haven't really had that. And I'm not, that's not not something, maybe it's just Mm. me, but that's not something I was conscious of or crying out for. But when you see it, you recognise it and you're like, ah, this feels familiar Mm. and good and something that teams require. I mean, I was really interested by Leno yesterday I was sort of watching him because I saw on the telly that the German manager was there in the stands and Mm. there'd been a bit of talk hadn't there in the German media about him potentially coming back in and I was watching him he seemed in pretty good spirits I mean everybody did there wasn't any kind of sulking going on I mean he went over to Ramsdale at the end of the game and you know there seemed a bit of rapport between them do you think that it's kind of clear going forward about the number one? Do you think it's round the sales now?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have any doubt about that. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's. You, you don't pay £24 million, pounds, whatever it was, for a second choice goalkeeper. You just don't do it. Um, it was always a question of when it was going to happen, not if it was going to happen. Um, I think goalkeepers are a particular kind of personality anyway, aren't they? They they, they sort of understand uh, the predicament the other one is in. Um, of course, yeah. I don't think Leno is going to be happy. Of course he won't be happy. He shouldn't be happy. Um, I don't think he's going to be happy, um, you know, losing his place. I don't know when he's going to get it back. But uh, if he can back up Ramsdale for the time that he's here, then, you know, I think that's part of his job as well. As a senior guy in the squad, he'll probably move on in the summer. Maybe he'll move on in January. It depends what we can do in terms of uh, another number two goalkeeper. But uh, I think it's Ramsdale's now. There's no question about it. And if
1: he's not back in in January, I mean, he's probably going to want to move Leno, isn't he? You would think. Mm. I mean, he's a guy who wants to be playing at 29 German international place, a World Cup in little over a year's time, as crazy as that seems.
0: Am I right about that? Yeah, it's next so Christmas. It's no, yeah, November, isn't it? There, thereabouts.
1: Yeah, so he's not going to hang around too long. So that will be an interesting one. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, credits to still I think he's had a, a really good start.
0: All right, let's do another uh, few quickly if we can get through a few because I know yeah, we've been going a yeah,
1: yeah. uh, Okay, let. What about this one? Looking forward a little bit. Um, it's from Mork on the Discord. And Mark says, do you think we have a chance of going on an unbeaten streak between now and the November interlal? We play Brighton away, Palace at home, Villa at home, Leicester away, Watford at home in the league and then Leeds at home in the non-televised cup.
0: Yeah, I think we said this a couple of weeks ago that the, the fixtures after the North London derby lend themselves to going on a bit of a run it's not going to be easy I don't think it's I don't think we're in a position, a position where we can take anything for granted Brighton have had a great start to the season haven't they you know so yeah yeah can go we, top tonight I think I yeah. say. so you know you can't underestimate anybody in this league and you can't underestimate anybody when you're Arsenal right now either so it is an opportunity but um, I think we're going to have to work as hard as we did against Spurs yesterday to get the results in these games that is the baseline mm-hmm. performance, uh, but what I think we've shown over the last few weeks is that we do have talent in this team. There is a there is a willingness to put in the hard yards, to do the running, to do the work, to do the chasing, the pressing, and all of those things. Like if the two games against Norwich and and Burnley were you know in the category of hard fought. Um, you know that's what we had to do and we're going to have to do that in those games but I'm I'm more confident now having come through these three games and in particular yesterday with the idea that we can produce Um, Mm. it was very difficult to see the light when things were so so dark um, particularly after the Man City game but I'm you know it shows you how quickly things can change in football but that's also a reason why we need to be uh, you know on our toes we can't just sort of win the Derby and then think we've cracked it. If we yeah. let our standards slip, other teams will take advantage of that. So it's about maintaining it and about producing consistently. And hopefully, you know, Mikel Arteta and his staff can can keep everyone on their toes.
1: Yeah, I remember being sat in this chair um, in the international break mm. and sort of saying, you know, it's only three games. Um And I think having said that, you have to say the same after three wins Mm. to an extent. You know, it's only three games. But I think hopefully we as supporters feel much more on an even keel. Certainly the results are more on an even keel at this point. And crucially, we can see a way forward. I mean, was it after the Norwich game or the Burnley game? Mikel Arteta was asked if he saw any light at the end of the tunnel. And he he, he spoke (laughs) about the bright lights that he could see. And they were blazing. Yesterday in that first half. Yeah. And I'd love to see more of that. I think, listen, it's time for me to roll out a cliche. There are no easy games in the Premier League. You know, every game has its challenges. Uh, Brighton is the next up, and that will be tough in its own way. Mm. But I am much more confident. Um, I was always optimistic, but I'm much more confident of our capabilities to to go there and get a result, and that feels good. It even feels good to be in the top half of the table. You know, what what are our realistic aims for the season? Top six. Well, uh, I'm just having a look now. You know, we're only three points off that, and we play mm. Brighton next week, who we are sixth at the moment. So these things just feel a little bit brighter today.
0: Okay, here is one. Uh, Oh my goodness, where is it? Uh, Was it on the Discord? Okay, we had a couple, yeah. One from Lambay who says, Thierry Henry had Daniel Ek sitting beside him at the game yesterday. You'd have to read something into that, right? It has to be a bit more than just two lads going to the game with a kid. And Alexander on the Discord says, how pointed was that very public chumminess between Thierry Henry and Daniel Ek? Any real world implications or just a, hey Stan, look at this Stunt.
1: I have to say, I think more of the latter. To be honest with you, mm. um, you know, <laughs> Daniel Eck is insistent he'll be back when the Cronkies want to sell. Well, I don't foresee that being any time soon. And I think, yeah, of course, you know, that you pick your pick and choose your games. Um, I, I didn't maybe he was, but I didn't see Daniel Ek at Norwich. Um, <laughs> I am I, very cynical about this.
0: Yeah, um, I think I saw a tweet from Giant Gooner um, at Giant Gooner who was saying basically is <laughs> a really great way for Daniel Eck to get to hang out with Thierry Henry. <laughs> <laughs> so I agree with you. Yeah. I think there was something uh, you know a bit cynical about it, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't envisage anything uh, in particular happening there. Uh, I mean, look. I'd be so happy to be
1: wrong like if Daniel Ek sort of battered the door down and was able to get in front of the Cronkies and hammer out a deal and take Arsenal back to the top no one would be happier than me but I just feel like as we said at the time the Cronkies are not the people to do this deal in public and any kind of public PR play I think is only going to make the life of the bidder harder I just don't see them going for that and and even the sort of stuff like yesterday you know getting picked up by the cameras and I I just don't think that'll play well with KSE and make them think these are the guys we want to sit down with Mm. I I, I just don't see it Mm. Um, but you know listen if he's an Arsenal fan I'm sure he had a hell of a time I mean we'd all like to be up there in a box with Thierry Henry celebrating a Derby win Mm. Um, must have been a good afternoon for sure
0: he looked good in that shirt didn't he
1: Yeah, he did. I mean, he looked very good indeed. He looked, to be honest, like he could still play. Um, (laughs) It's tempting to get him down to the training ground, see what's going on. All this talk of Jack Wilshere coming back. What's Thierry Henry up to? (laughs) We contract.
0: Um,
1: What about this? Um, Edie on Twitter said, With Odegaard currently outperforming Madison, Tommy Asu outperforming Emerson Royale, Ramsdale being very good, is it fair to say that Mikel Arteta's talent ID is better than some random blokes on Twitter?
0: <laughs> I don't want to upset a random bloke on Twitter. You
1: know? <laughs> the random blokes on Twitter don't know they're the random blokes. That's the thing. We uh, all think we're... We all, no one thinks they're that guy. No one so thinks
0: they're the random bloke. We're on that Twitter.
1: guy to some people. You For know, sure. one of those. For
0: sure. Uh, look, it's been... It's been it's been a successful start, an encouraging start for those guys for sure. Um, you know Tommy Asu there's a question here from Tokyo gooner is that Tokyo underscore gooner said let's talk about Tommy Asu shall we should we call him
1: sure <laughs> Tokyo Guner wants to yeah sure, we should we call him
0: should we call him Tommy Kafu? Tommy Alves or <laughs> Japanese Eva Ivanovic, uh, yeah, which I think is doing him a slight, disser- him. slight disservice. I don't want to take uh, too much bridge with that. But uh, look, these guys have had a really positive start to their Arsenal careers. Um, long way to go, sample size, small, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I like what I'm seeing so far.
1: Yeah, sure. and I I called him the Japanese Ivanovic in my post match video <laughs> and and I, I honestly meant it as a compliment. I mean,
0: No, I know what Ivanovich you mean by it. Yeah, yeah. was
1: an uncompromising uh, character, but a brilliant defender. And I think that um he's a defender first. If you love defending and the art of defending, I do. you will love Tomiyasu. Yeah,
0: I, I do. I really like yeah. it. I mean, there was the there was the moment where Ramsdale made a save from Kane and yeah. I think it was a good save. And he actually that pushed a low down one. Yeah, the low down one. Yeah. And he pushed the ball quite wide. I mean, um it wasn't like he spilled it out in front of him, but Tommy Asu was there just to make double sure, you know what I mean? I like that. I like that he's a a really defensively aware player. And I think, you know, the fact that he has played and does play at centre half I think is quite an interesting aspect to this because the idea of center half at right back is, is uh, they don't like it. Usually central defenders do not like playing at right back because there's so much running up and down the wing for a start. But, you know, it's a, it's a different game because you're running and you're chasing back, whereas when you're a centre-half, for the most part of the game is in front of you. You can see everything and you can read everything, whereas you're a little more turned around when you're a full-back. But I think it's standing him in good stead, particularly when it comes to some of the, uh, the penalty box defending that we've had to do in some of the games of late. So, yeah, it's great.
1: And also, I think... You know, we're all talking about his defending and rightfully so and Aerially, is so dominant. But his two-footedness is a really useful tool out on that channel. You know, mm. when you're pressed and you've got the option to not just go down the line but come back inside, it makes it a lot easier to escape. And we saw that quite a lot yesterday where he'd get closed down, be it by son or, or anybody else. And, and he would be, just come back onto his left foot and play a pass inside to Odegaard or Partey mm. in central midfield. Really useful tool. I think he, he's he been really excellent. I have to say, he's been so good at right-back and I, I'm not advocating for change. I'd love to see one. I'm sure he will see one day and play at centre-half for Arsenal um, in some context if somebody's injured or whatever. And I, I'd be curious to see it. He looks like he'd be a very, very good mm. central defender too. Um, so he gives you options. And coming back to the original point, the talent ID, I mean... It's interesting. There's a lot of people in football outside of Arsenal who looked at Arsenal's business in this window. It's not just fans. It's, you know, agents and other clubs who looked at it and thought, I'm not sure about that. You know, it it wasn't an irrational point of view to look at these signings and go, well, how much have they really raised the bar Mm. for Arsenal? I think there were question marks justifiably over many of them. But, they have made a really good start. And actually... One day we've not. One guy we've not really mentioned is Ben White, who I thought had another
0: good defensive display. Agree. Yesterday. Agree. Um, I mean, it's, it, and it it's got the makings of a good partnership, doesn't it? Him and Gabriel. Yeah, there's a balance.
1: There's a balance, and and um, it is early days, and let's not get carried away. But so far, they all look like a good fit, and and also I, I can't remember many occasions where a team has changed so many players or brought in so many players and it seemed to work
0: quite so quickly. Yeah, there was a question about that, actually, if I can find it.
1: Was it the one about Arsene Wenger? Yeah, Official
0: Uh, Lorenzo, who's at Lorenzo Odwin, says Arsene was famously reticent about adding more than three players in a transfer window. Has football changed, or the players have become more intelligent, or was Arsene's opinion just never tested?
1: Well, you know, you think of... Situations like Spurs selling Gareth Bale and bringing in a bunch of players but I think their struggles after that period were as much to do with losing Gareth Bale as um, mm. who they brought in I mean I mean admittedly some of those signings didn't work at all like Paulinho but a lot of the time when you see players um, you see a clutch of players brought in it's to replace a star like mm. like we're seeing at Aston Villa they made a bunch of signings because they knew Grealish was going Arsenal didn't really have that this summer. In fact, far fewer players left than they intended, but they added a lot. Um, maybe that's why it's working, because it's not like they're covering for a big departure. They're just adding things they didn't have. But yeah, Wenger was very reluctant to do it. I think Arteta recognised he needed to. I
0: think I that's, think that's it. it. I think it's about need. It's about whether you need to or not. And and what, yeah. um, you know, the, the old uh, refrain about, one or two players uh that's how far away we were was generally not too far from the truth under arsene wenger Mm -hmm. where you could say if we brought in one or two top quality players in key positions we could really improve this team now Mm. he never needed to i don't well i mean he did at one point need to bring in a load of players after the eight two um but he's, he'd become habituated then to yeah. that way of doing business, you know? And it's not... Yeah, I mean, we needed to. That's the reality. We needed to bring in uh, the, the the number of players that we did. I don't think it's something you would necessarily do by choice all the time because you want to have a, a squad that you improve incrementally, whereas we had to kind of rip things up and start again, if you like, and, and have had to do that over the past 18 months or so. We've done a lot... Um, you know, there have been a lot of deals done inwards and outwards in, in the last couple of years to varying degrees of success. But we needed to. But it happens. It, it really just depends how well you can manage that situation. Didn't Monchi, in this, uh, um, when he was supposed to join us and then he backed out at the 11th hour, I think he went to Sevilla and in that summer brought in something like 10 players hmm. and they had a fucking great season. So it's not set in stone, you know?
1: Yeah, and I also think um, Wenger did do it when he absolutely had to. You think of 2011, the trolley dash, five mm. players, in the final 48 hours of the window. To add to some players that he'd already
0: signed. That's yeah,
1: Oxlade-Chamberlain and Jovina, I think, had come in. So, you know, he, he did do it when he needed to, um, and Arsenal needed to. They'd fallen that far. They needed to you know mm. make the squad younger better uh and so far so good on that front
0: all right, well, look, we better leave it there because we've been going a long time and we need to get this out for people to listen to so they can uh, they can enjoy the, the jingle uh, as much as anything else, as much True. as anything True. we've True. said. I think that's going to be the, the key thing. But look, hopefully everyone is still basking in the enjoyment of the North London Derby. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for being here. As always, it's much appreciated and we will catch you on the next one. Have a very goodly morning. Bye-bye.